Welcome to the Transform Your Wealth and Health podcast, where experts in wealth, health, and fitness help transform your life. Here's your host, Andy Arder. He's an author, columnist, mastermind champion, lecturer, and barrister. He's also my favorite chaser on TV's The Chase. It's Sean Wallace. Sean, how are we doing? How are you doing, Andy? Um, pleasure to meet you, bro. Thank, thank you, Sean. Thanks thank for coming you. to my chambers. Yeah. Absolute pleasure. Now, you invited me along a while back. Did. Yeah, yeah. I think we ran into each other at um, <laughs> Halifax and Holborn. So, just as I was coming here, I just you know, went into uh, to, you know, pay a couple of bills and head uh, straight here. Chance meeting. Yeah. We were talking about this a little bit earlier the things that happen randomly by chance, but just by being in the right place at the right time. Sometimes that's the best place exactly. to be, actually, the right place, right place at the right time. Exactly, yeah. So, from our meeting, I went out and I purchased your book. Yeah. So, fantastic book, by the way, Chasing the Dream. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, we were talking earlier a little bit about it, I was going to ask you about clips and bits and pieces from the book, and you said, Ask me why yeah. I wrote the book. So, Sean. Why did you write the well, book? Well, the reason why I wrote the book uh, was in the aftermath of me losing the Eggets Grand Final on the 29th of June 2008. And I was yeah. sitting in my car gutted because it was my first defeat on the TV quiz show in five years. Wow. So I was listening to Stevie Dan's Greatest Hits uh, because that was the music I was playing on my way to the show because I was the only contestant out of the 32 contestants who took part in the competition to play the quarter-final, semi-final, final, all in one day. Wow. Uh, and the reason why I had to do that is because they didn't expect me to keep on winning, but I did keep on winning. On the last day, there was only one recording day left. Yeah. And I was in the middle of a trial, and I could hardly say to a judge, oh, by the way, can I simply pull out and do a TV quiz show? You just told me where to get off. Yeah. But luckily, the case went short, so it enabled me to actually take part in the competition, and I was in the studio for 13 hours, yeah. and I fell short, yeah. and I was so disappointed. I was sitting in my car, thinking about my life for a whole hour, listening to the Stevie Dan uh, Greatest Hits track at the same time. And I thought, you know what? It would make a good story. Mm. So I went home and started to write it. It was originally called True to the Game. And I wrote it uh, uh, in the space of about four months. Yeah. Uh, and it was mainly about my quizzing exploits as opposed to my personal life. And the reason why I didn't publish it in 2008 is I did so to coincide with the, uh, the screening of the competition. Yeah. But guess what they brought out? Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I wasn't gonna actually compete with my life story with uh, you know an Oscar-winning film. No, no. So what I decided to do was to go away and reconstruct the whole uh, uh, project. And I thought to myself, people are not gonna simply want to know about your quizzing exploits. They're gonna want to know where you've come from. Yeah. So you know, I've told it. You know, although it's a fairly big book, um, you know, it's uh, it tells my whole life story. It certainly does. Now it's walks and all, Sean. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Did you get permission from the people in the family to put some of the stuff that's in there? Because you go reasonably personal, really. It's quite I do, personal. and uh, I didn't uh, seek their permission because okay. as I, w I always said that, uh, you know, in relation to an autobiography, I've tried to be honest, I've tried yeah. to be open, and I've not basically defamed anybody, I've just no, basically told no, the truth. Yeah. Uh, and I did show it to them, and you know, they were more than happy with what I had to say. Good. Uh, uh, but uh, I said to myself and I said to them, if you're not happy, write your own autobiography and tell your own version. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, I mean, literally, you were telling stuff, you know. So, if I can touch on it, yeah. um, one of the early parts of the, of the book, after you tell the story where you're, you know, you're, you're listening to Steely Dan and you've been defeated and mm -hmm. first time in five years, you then go on to talk about the family coming over from Jamaica. That's correct, yeah. Uh, how we, uh, you know, um, you know, my mum and dad, uh, I was born in England, but my mum and dad, obviously, they didn't meet in Jamaica, but uh, they met over here, but they worked from yeah. Jamaica. And, uh, you know, then my uh, eldest sister, Sandra, who's my first big hero, because she taught me how to read, she taught me how, 
uh, uh, to have an educated mind. And although my dad wasn't a literate person, the one great gift he told me was to sort of, you know, be conscious of the world around you. Yeah. So he taught me and encouraged me to read the newspapers, watch the news uh, items on TV. Yeah. So that made me a, 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 a 60s child who was aware of the world and the yeah. environment around sure. him. And I suppose that's where I get my sort of passage, uh, my passion for having that inquisitive mind, wanting to expand my mind, wanting to learn things. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I am very, very personal. I talk about uh, the uh, um, watching my parents' marriage disintegrate. I talk about that. I talk about the, the fact that uh, you yeah. know my mother and uh, my older sister uh, eventually, you know, clashed, clashed, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know led her to actually leaving home. And uh, you know she had a child at the age of seventeen. You know, so I, I do uh, give a warts and all account. Um, the one thing I don't talk about in the book is my own personal relationships with women. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is not because I've got anything to hide. It's because of the fact that, again, uh, I, I don't think it's right to actually uh, talk about a, an intimate relationship. Yes. It should always remain behind closed doors yes. from a, a one-sided viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And I would want to actually talk about intimate relationships in that regard to embarrass the previous relationships I've had. And it's not I've yeah. got anything to hide. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't. And uh, you know, most of my ex-girlfriends have read it and said, well, 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 why wasn't I in it? And I said, listen, you know, I didn't want to basically write a story uh, which basically was intimate to us. Everybody yeah. knew about the relationship we had. But what goes on behind closed doors should stay behind closed doors. Yeah, sure. So, it, you know, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, it's like being in a World Cup 30. Uh, you weren't in the 23. <laughs> so. <laughs> You can't actually say that to them. You just have oh, to I, did, I, did, I did say that to them, but I certainly did say that to them. Did you really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you, you know you've got uh, 30 players who were originally picked in a provisional squad, but, yeah. uh, you know, only 23 can go to the World Cup finals, and you sadly didn't make the 23. <laughs> you like your football. We'll touch on that in a yeah. little while, if it's okay. Cool. I want to go into the fact that originally, when you was at school, mm -hmm. you wasn't incredibly academic, was you? I was bright, uh, but um, I didn't know how to pass exams. And right. uh, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to be at the age of eleven. I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then the first letter I wrote uh, was to the bar council when I was about twelve years old, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they wrote back to me, and I kept that letter as a source of inspiration. Uh, but having a sort of you know a, a computer-like mind is different to knowing how to pass exams. Yeah. And I didn't actually have the maturity or indeed the confidence in order to actually know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And there were these struggles, especially in relation to trying uh, to pass O-level English, which eventually took me five times. Wow. Uh, and, <laughs> that, uh, that's a point to pick up on, Sean. Yeah. I mean, anyone that's out there that's struggling, I mean, look at you, you're the fountain of knowledge, and there you have failed a standard exam. That's and I've, written, level, I've written, an autobiography. written an autobiography. So it just goes to show, uh, and the reason why I wanted to give such a warts and all account like that in relation to the setbacks uh, I've had in my life, because I want people to realise if you do have setbacks in life, your future's not behind you. Mm. I don't know anybody uh, who's gone through life, unless you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you've had things basically given to you on a plate, yeah. who haven't had adversity. And I think a part of life is having that adversity because it helps you grow as an individual, it helps you cope with uh, uh, disappointment and sometimes defeat, and it helps you to actually realise that when you do overcome uh, those disappointments, uh, to appreciate uh, um, the goals which you uh, attain and try to set for yourself. Mm, sure. So eventually you start passing exams yeah. and then you get to become 
a barrister. Yeah, again, that um, even uh, what's happened to me um, since uh, I qualified as a barrister, yeah. passing the bar exams and qualifying as a barrister is the best thing which ever happened to me. Really, yeah. The reason being, uh, as an 11 year old boy, I taught the talk, I was like Muhammad Ali, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be the <laughs> greatest the lawyer. Greatest. <laughs> right, and if you talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. Yeah. And uh, it was a proud moment when my mum and dad um, were there to watch their uh, eldest son uh, uh, you know, pass the bar exams, yeah. who didn't turn out to be a thief, who didn't turn out to be a disappointment. And one thing I always say, you know, it could have been easy for me to actually fall off the uh, rocky road. Yeah. But the one thing which kept me on the straight and narrow, I didn't want to make my mum cry. Right. Okay, well that's an emotional thing to touch yeah. on. Sure. You and your mum close? You we are, oh, as I yeah. say, um, sadly she's suffering from Alzheimer's right. uh, disease, but uh, I had brought a house across the road from her mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, keep an eye on her. Um, and, um, you know, God bless her, I owe a great yeah. deal, because, you yeah. know, when, uh, uh, my parents' marriage had broken up. Although I saw my dad, yeah. uh, and he was very, very supportive. Mum mm. basically bore the brunt of, you know, raising three right. children. Yeah, and it wasn't easy for her. And um, you know, by the mid forties, she was a basically broken woman in terms of all the hard yeah. work and sacrifice she'd given. Yeah, and uh, it was, uh, you know, sad to see a, a pretty gorgeous, strong woman, you know, sort of, you know, descent into sort of, you know, loneliness and self-pity and that's yeah. why I basically wanted to keep an eye on her to make sure that uh, you know she wouldn't be alone in the uh, advancing years. Sure and your, your brother and sister the same? Yeah 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 so okay. we you know we all go and see her um, I see her all the time so yeah and in the book you were saying that you fell out with your sister and you didn't talk for a year and stuff yeah like that, and I know? fell out with my uh, big sister we didn't speak for 12 years, 12 years. Over, yeah wow. that was over rubbish and um, I, I suppose that's the sort of stubborn nature of uh, uh, the uh, Wallace family. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, even though he had fallen out, uh, I'd be the first person, vice versa, but us to write to each other's rescues when we needed yeah. it. So, um, yes. Well, it's uh, great that you write things like that because yeah. a lot of people would shy away. And a strange thing we were talking about earlier, I said to you, I'll give you an inkling of some of the questions I might be likely to ask. And you said, no, nah, no, nah, I like surprises. So I don't like surprises, no, just ask me. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah I do like, yeah, you just like ask me. You like surprises, yeah, 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 because, you know, obviously yeah. if you don't know what the questions are, yeah, yeah. straight off the top of your head, yeah. you know, so well, thanks yeah, for doing that, by yeah. the way. <clears throat> so you did a few jobs, so I'm looking them up and I'm thinking, well, one of them was an actor. <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, as I, said, I, 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 I was in a film called The Classroom with Miss Matt Michael. I mean, I was an extra. Yeah, I was an extra. Yeah. Uh, did you extra. say any words? Yeah, I did actually. But you see, they ended up on the cutting room floor, sadly. Damn. But you know, you do see me in the first five minutes of that particular film. It was called The Classroom with Miss Matt Michael with right. Dana Jackson and Oliver Reed. Wow. It was like a sort of rowdier version of To Serve With Love. Yeah. And it was a fantastic experience. Uh, and Silvio Nazarino, who uh, directed that famous film Gregory Girl in oh, the yeah. 1960s yeah. you know we all went along to the audition I originally uh, invited to go along my mate said look let's come along because we, we worked at the old original Burger King which was in Coventry Street I was going to say that too yeah. so we went to pick up our wages because uh, we're going back uh, to start uh, a second year of our sixth form so they said sure, sure just yeah. come along so I went along <laughs> you know, and I wasn't part of the sort of uh, drama group because I used to like playing football on the Wednesdays yeah. so we were all in a room and uh, Judd Trump, who was a producer, came in with Silver Nazarino and he just went, I want you! <laughs> and he just pointed to me. Yeah, yeah. To, and I, would, you know, I felt like I was suspended in disbelief, uh, as I mentioned in the book. Yeah. And, and you know, to see everybody else's faces that uh, 
they were gutted. Yeah. So we went to an old school off the uh, um, Roman Road in Old Ford. And I was there, I did about 10 filming days, I got £10 a day. I mean, I might not have seen a lot, but in 1977, yeah. that was like a King's yeah, Ransom. Yeah, yeah. And it was fantastic. What was you getting when you was at Burger King, just to keep it in um, Probably about three quid an hour, right. something like that. Yeah, so, um, you know, that was just a summer job, because I always yeah. used to like having summer jobs in the uh, summer. Yeah. And uh, in the uh, 70s and throughout the 80s, I always used to work on play schemes. Yeah. Because uh, I think that was my full region and sort of working in a sort of factory mm -hmm. and things like that. So. What, what was your favourite job you've done in across your whole career so far? Um, discounting law. It's oh, got to be as a master. It's got to be as a master. And you know, the reason why is because of the fact that as a boy, that's what I wanted to be. You yeah. know, I had my heroes, <laughs> people like George Carmen QC, yeah. the fictional Rumpole of the Bailey. I used to watch programs like Petricelli. Yeah. Uh, the Verdict with Paul Newman was one of my favourite films. Anything to do with law, I wanted to be like that because I wanted to use my skills as a uh, as an advocate to try and help uh, people who are less fortunate and not in a position to help themselves. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, yeah, um, even to this day, I always want to be remembered as a person who's a barrister who happens to be on TV, not the other way around. Right, that's good. So we like to encourage people on the show to increase and improve their wealth and their health. Yeah. So, two things, because I know you do a lot of exercise as well. Yeah, I do, yeah. Right. Uh, can, we, yeah. can we come back to that in a yeah, second? Course, right, let's yeah. go for the wealth things first yeah. of all. So, okay, you're, a, you're an author. Yes. You're a columnist. Yeah. For the, is it the Sunday, Sunday Express? Express? Sunday Express. Yeah. And then also you're a mastermind champion and quizzer, so you may have got some fees from that. Yeah. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Show. You know, you're getting multiple, multiple income. Well, I, I didn't get paid for winning mastermind. Um, mm. I did that for the love of uh, competition. That's right. why I got into quizzing in the first place, the thrill of the competition. But that's and led on to the chase. Yeah, and if that's yeah. if there's a prize at the end yeah. of it, then there's a prize. And uh, uh, you'll come on to the autobiography. Uh, my first breakthrough was in a show called Greed with Jerry Springer. Yeah. And although that only lasted series, between us, we won a quarter of a million pounds. Right. Um, so you know, I've, uh, you know, I've, you know, quizzing is a great way of earning money if you're yeah. good because it's tax-free. Yes. Um, you know, I obviously work as a uh, barrister, yeah. uh, and although I extensively do uh, legal aid work, which is publicly funded work, yeah. You know, uh, I do all right. Mm. Um, and there's, you know, the other um, things like where I get invited now to actually either host charity quizzes or sometimes yeah. I get paid for that. So, yeah. you know, I do have various income streams, which uh, is, I'm doing okay. Okay then. Well, this is the thing, you see, because obviously people that are out there, they're doing their one steady job maybe, let's yeah. say, and they don't realise that even people like yourself have got a slightly different variation on a theme and they're picking up fees and money from elsewhere. Yeah. And they can do exactly the same. Absolutely. Person. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I... I, I the one thing which I um, am always trying to do is to encourage uh, people to actually do the best they can do in terms of uh, uh, the time they spend on this uh, on this earth. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not the type of person who wants to have it all for myself. Right. And there's a lot of people who are like that, uh, which mm -hmm. I find not only distasteful, I find actually disgusting really. Because mm -hmm. the one thing about wealth, no matter how rich you are, uh, mortality is a great leveler. Yeah. You can't take it with you no, when you're dead, true. even yeah. though the Egyptians have tried and sadly <laughs> failed. Uh, but uh, I think it's important that you know people should be encouraged. I'm always trying to give. I always talk about the ladder of opportunity. I think yeah. it's important that the ladder of opportunity should be down there for everybody. 
uh, uh, to actually climb up and uh, hopefully go beyond uh, any sort of um, levels I set for myself. Okay. Hi, it's Andy Arter. Just interrupting the podcast briefly to let you know if you fancy starting your own podcast, there's a great opportunity for you. Saturday the 20th of July, I'm hosting the One Day Podcast Creation Workshop in London with pro podcaster, marketer and best-selling author Chris Huskins. We'll get your podcast started on the day with training on all aspects of podcasting from start to finish. The venue is fantastic and incredibly accessible, plus a chance to win a portable podcast recorder worth £200. There's valuable resources provided to start your podcast, and Chris will be signing free copies of his book, The Most Comprehensive Guide to Podcasting Ever. Click on the link in the show notes for more information. Now back to the podcast. So I want to talk about your football in a minute, right? Both in the book you talk about the football, and we were talking about Chelsea earlier. Yeah, I'm a big, big Chelsea. Chelsea fan. Yeah, yeah. So, before we do that, let's just hop back on a little bit of a section of the book, if I can yeah, read it out, if yeah. that's okay. And it was about the family stuff. I know we were talking earlier about uh, your sister and your mum falling out and stuff like mm. that. So just to conclude that, this is what you've written. This wasn't the only conflict that was raging within the Wallace household. The old adage that two hens cannot rule the roost in the same coop was never better illustrated than in the ever-growing arguments between mum and Sandra. But like dad, mum was also a woman of her times, a woman who determined to exert total control over her eldest daughter. Although Sandra's rebelliousness and dogged determination to be treated as a woman in her own right was equally uncompromising, there was only going to be one winner yeah. in that war of attrition. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, yeah, I, I mean that, that, that's all part of growing up, really, isn't it? You know, yeah. uh, if you've got children, uh, you know, you obviously you want the best for them, but yes. uh, sometimes there's that um, that that difficult period, I say, between adolescence and being a young adult, where yeah. the young adolescent wants to actually assert his or her own independence, living under the rules of a, a, a parent which they find stifling and uncompromising, yes. and they want to be themselves. Mm. And the one thing I always say to young people is that, you know, there's always that difficult time between being an adult and being a, uh, a, a young adolescent, knowing yeah. when uh, to accept the rules of uh, the house and knowing when to actually assert your own independence, especially yeah. when, you know, you're at that time when you're passing exams and want to do exams. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult to strike that balance between knowing when to work, knowing when to study. We all went through that. I found it difficult uh, and uh, it's important to strike that right balance. And there's got to be a little give and take between the parent and the child. Yeah. Um, you know, the parent has got to recognise that you know, you know, you, you have that sort of protective cocoon, and you know, you just got to let them go and grow. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, so that they turn, can turn into the adult that uh, you hoped and dreamed that they would be. Yeah. And at the same token, the, the child's got to realise that the parent has always got your best interests at heart. You will always be a parent, and I will always be a child to my mum and dad. Uh, and no matter, and I'm nearly sixty next year. Uh, <laughs> Don't so, look it, by no, the way. You kept yourself. Well, we'll talk about that when we talk yeah, about health. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go on to that. Yeah, stuff, but we? uh, you know, I think it's important um, that mutual uh, respect uh, in relation to uh, uh, the respective roles uh, that relationship has yeah. must always be present. Because if you, if it, if there's a breakdown in it, it's always going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Especially in relation to West Indian households. Right. You know, back in the sixties, I talk about the fact that you know, my dad, although. Uh, uh, was a kind man. Was he was an alpha male? Mm. You know, the Englishman's home is his castle. 
what I say goes. And there was that conflict between me and myself and my father when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the same with the, the mother and daughter. Yeah. You, know, you know, a daughter wants to sort of have boyfriends, wants to grow up, wants to assert her womanhood. And the mother basically, you know, wants to clamp down on that. And that, that conflict uh, and that friction, you know, it's no different than any household up and down the country. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you do a little bit of work with kids anyway, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've always done that uh, because I think it's important. Even now, I'm in the public eye because mm -hmm. I always say, with fame comes responsibility. Yeah. And you know, you like Superman, you should use your powers of responsibility wisely. Yeah. And I remember, and I'm sure the same was for you when you know you had uh, somebody famous coming into your school. You're so excited, buck-eyed, and sort of you know froth frothing at the mouth with excitement. That's yeah. it. Somebody I would take today, it. Sean. Nah, no, I'm today. No, not really. <laughs> really. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, they, they leave a lasting impression on you. And uh, I, I think it's important, especially from my perspective, uh, being black, being uh, uh, you know an ordinary guy from the block. I like to say, and, I, and I am, I've not let fame change me at all. But for children to see me and I say, listen, I was young like you once, and I want you to have the same opportunities and goals like me. Yeah. Uh, but for me, uh, it's got to be the way uh, you educate your mind. An educated mind opens so many doors, and that's why I go into schools. And I show them little, uh, you know, clips of my uh, quizzing career. I always show them me winning Mastermind. I show them a very exciting two minute of the final chase, and they love that. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's what uh, I, I say to them. The reason I like that because I want to learn. Yeah, yeah. Good on you. Good on you for doing the work that you do. By the way, so football. 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 We football. both love football. We both love football. We both support teams which uh, you know have a history of uh, you know enmity between us. So, yes. You know, uh, you know, there's two reasons why I hate Spurs, and I use it with a passion. Uh, the first reason was because in 1967, as I talk about it in the yes, book, yes, you do, yeah. Uh, you know, I had a cousin uh, called Roy Walker, who I looked up to, and I still look up to this day. And he yeah. was a big Spurs fan. He actually took me to my very first match, which was a Spurs game. Yeah. Uh, but it was a 67 Cup final, and we had a black and white TV. Yeah. And just to annoy him, I said I could support a team in the dark shirts. So it had to be Chelsea, and it was the first London Cup final, and we lost 2-1. And another reason why I had that enmity against Spurs was in uh, April 1975, mm. uh, both Chelsea and Spurs were occupying 22 and 23 positions in the league, in the 24 league then. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the loser of the penultimate game yeah. at White Hart Lane went down and Alfie Conn yes. of Formula Rangers scored yes, those two goals, yeah, yeah. lost 2-0. We were relegated in 1975, yeah. and although we won up two years later in 77, Spurs went down in 77. Yes, they, did, yeah. they then came up in 78, signed all those Argentina World Cup That's players. Right. Yeah. We then went down in 79. Took us five years to get back into the league. Painful, right? And from 1991 to 2007 will always be the best point of my footballing life, because home and away. Yeah. We would go at three point lane as we yeah, used to call it. That's right. Take yes, three points yes, for a point yes, yes. and never lose. And uh, yeah, I think the rivalry between Chelsea and Spurs is right. just fierce. John, we're going to gloss over that oh, very, right. very, very quickly now. <laughs> All right, tell us a bit more about your own career in football. Yeah, I wanted to be a footballer just like anybody else, and I had my uh, heroes uh, like Pele, George Best, my uh, biggest hero uh, at the time growing up, even though he played for a different club, was Bobby Moore, because he he exemplified yeah. everything you'd want in an English footballer, a perfect gent, yeah. a great leader, and a superb footballer. Was, yeah. uh, and when I won Mastermind, when I lifted the trophy, I felt like Bobby Moore. 
<laughs> lifting the World Cup. Yeah, yeah I felt yeah. like I was lifting Your the World, World Cup. Cup so, you know, like anybody, uh, you know, I wanted to be a footballer and uh, I looked to people uh, uh, for inspiration to show that, so, you know, you can have other jobs mm. and still be a professional footballer. Steve Koppel, yeah. uh, he, uh, he was an economics graduate, yes. uh, he was an amateur trainer over signed for Man United, played 42 times for England. Mm. Stevie Highway got an economics degree. Yeah. Brian Hall from Liverpool got an economics degree. Yeah. Socrates was a Qualified doctor. He was, yes, and Ozzy Ardiles, Ardiles was a World Cup winner who was a qualified lawyer. Yeah, so I wanted to see if I could combine football and law at the same time because yeah. I think sometimes if you have got a bit of talent, I, I'm not saying I was the most skillful person in the yeah. world, I was like Kevin Keegan, I'd sort of work at my talent, yeah. but I was a good goal scorer. Okay. So, uh, you never quite got there, really. No, nah, and you got as far as Hendon Reserves, unfortunately. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, unless the, uh, unless, uh, sorry, unless the sort of theatre of dreams was yeah. uh, at Old Trafford. Even though you was around the corner from Wembley, you yeah. wasn't quite there with Hendon, uh, was it? But, yeah. you know, every cloud does have a silver lining. Because yes. I managed to play twice at Wembley in two cup finals in wow. 1991. Yeah, I played for a Sunday side called Kudo Granger. So after I... Um, didn't make it as a footballer. Yeah. I stopped playing football uh, for about six years because qualifying as a lawyer was more important to me. Yeah. Uh, then I was then started playing for a Sunday side called Kulo Rangers, and then we were fantastically successful. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we played in two amateur cup finals, uh, both at Wembley. I played in the first game, got injured, uh, and in the second game I sat on yeah. the bench. But I got two cup winners medals. And did you score any goals? No, I did not in the cup so final. I got injured in the first yeah. one, and I sat. Score at Wembley? Oh, it? it was superb. It was great uh, to play there yeah, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So I, you know, I did realise those dreams of actually playing at Wembley. Mm -hmm. And when I did the Mastermind Grand Final, those two cup winners medals were acted as mascots oh, in brilliant. my back pocket. Brilliant. So your your Mastermind um, final questions was around well, my Mastermind specialist it? subjects were yeah. all on football uh, because when I was looking for a subject to do, uh, originally I wanted to do Kings and Queens of England, uh, world history since 1945 because my history is very, very good, mm -hmm. very good. Mm -hmm. And FA Cup finals, they said I couldn't do Kings and Queens of England right. because somebody else had done it the previous year and yeah. I was going to pull out. Yeah. And I thought to myself, what is the one special subject yeah. uh, I could be really good at? Ding! Right, well in that case, I've got something slightly different, variation on a theme here, because okay. everybody always probably wants to ask you questions. I've got a few questions from some of the listeners and people that I know on Facebook. Yeah. Of, uh, if you don't mind me asking. No, of course not. Of course right. not. But before we do that, yeah. I want you to test me with a question. What about that, Sean? Okay, I'll test you with a couple of questions. Now be gentle. I will. Keep it, keep it simple. Right. I'm a very simple type person. Okay. 1970s. Fine. FA Cup Finals. Mm -hmm. Be kind. Ask me a question or two. Okay. Um, not that hard, Sean. Okay. Um, right. FA Cup Finals. Yeah, yeah. In what year was the centenary FA Cup Final? Which two teams took part? Mm, I'm gonna go then. 1976, Manchester United and Southampton. Unlucky. 1972. <laughs> uh, Leeds, Leeds and Arsenal. Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, I missed that. Unlucky. Yeah, uh, that's right. I'll keep going. Uh, who scored uh, the two goals which won uh, West Ham the FA Cup in 1975? 1975, that was Alan... I'm trying to remember his surname... Taylor! Alan Taylor, Alan yeah. Taylor yeah. The last player to score in two goals in the quarterfinals, two goals in the semi-final, oh, and two really? goals in the final. Oh, very, very good. good. Yes, yes. Uh, um, in the uh, 1978 final, yeah. uh, who scored the winning goal? That was... 
for Ipswich was Roger Osborne. It was Roger Osborne. against Arsenal. He said he did. So I'm going to quit there while I'm ahead. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm that's two brilliant. one up, so uh, I'm going to I'm going to quit. Absolutely, that's brilliant. <laughs> so I passed the test. Yeah, you certainly have. I'm not quite mastermind champion. No, listen, this very man again. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Right, we'll go on to some of the questions then, and some of the other people. Different different topics, different subjects. No, fine. Okay. So let's see if we can uh, get there. Jane Baylor was asking. Uh, as you go around schools a lot, would you say law is still a good career for youngsters? Yes, I'd say, uh, of course it is. Uh, uh, any uh, uh, professional career is a good career for youngsters. The disappointment I have uh, with um, governments, particularly the Labour government in the uh, uh, early noughties was when they introduced tuition fees. I, could, I don't think I could ever forgive the Labour government for that because it saddled our uh, uh, um, bright young students with uh, an enormous debt yeah. uh, and although I had the advantage of having a free education I would always encourage young people to actually um, irrespective of the fact that you may have to pay for education to go into any any profession you think you're entitled to because I always say to young people is this you're the next generation somebody's going to have to replace me somebody's going to have to replace uh, 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 the next uh, uh, um, doctor or eminent doctor or eminent scientist yeah. ask yourself this question why can't he be you yeah that's fair enough then so hazel stapleton was saying as your status as uh, afro-caribbean uh, role model i don't call myself a role call model i call myself a goal model and goal the reason model. why yeah. uh, um, People have a tendency to put people on a pedestal, yeah. uh, and I'm human just like everybody else. I've got to, you know, and uh, you know, uh, I don't want to be put on a great pedestal because if I make mistakes and I'm human just like anybody else, you fall from a great height. Yes, okay. And you know what? I'd rather uncomfortable on the floor. <laughs> okay, so she was saying um, your position is to be congratulated, but what was your driver's success? Everybody has uh, uh, heroes to look up to, yeah. uh, and, and I don't, you know, you read in the foreword, uh, no one is an island. Uh, I don't care how successful you are, how brilliant you are, everybody needs uh, that, luck, uh, that support to give you the hand up. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs that source of encouragement. You, obviously, you've got to have the uh, focus and drive from within to actually yeah. achieve that. But anybody who tells me I'm successful because I made it all by myself is a liar. Okay. So Neela Chakraborty was asking, what would you propose parents do today to make their kids more future ready? Give them as much support as they possibly can. Remember, as I said to you, sometimes uh, you know parents uh, always mean well, always have got the children's best interests at heart, but. You know, when the child gets around 15, 16, 17, there is that conflict uh, in relation to a child growing up wanting to assert his or her independence yeah. uh, 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 and uh, not wanting to be dictated to. And as I say, that child has got to strike the right balance between knowing uh, uh, how to assert your own independence, knowing what to do, what it takes to get you to the next level, and knowing that there is that support structure which is there to actually help you. Yeah. And parents, vice versa, have got to strike that right balance between, you know, letting go to a great degree always keeping an eye because you'll always be the parent you'll always love that child you'll always want to support that child no matter how old they are but to recognize that child is growing up uh, and is growing up to be a responsible adult who will one day be uh, 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 a possible uh, important member within the community and the society at large so 
both sides have got to strike the right balance to actually achieve which you know it, i'm not saying it's an easy balance to strike because i'm not going to sit there and say of course it is because it's not mm. sure okay well final question uh, in 2005 you were campaigning to become an independent mp that's correct would you consider going back into politics and what changes would you want in your constituency? And that's from Cameron Fisher. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Um, the only reason I stood uh, uh, was because of the fact of my uh, staunch opposition to tuition fees. Right. Uh, uh, so that was a major platform which I stood. And obviously, you know, my uh, then opposition, fierce opposition to the Iraq war. Uh, you know, I'm too idealistic to be a politician because you know uh, and, and too altruistic uh, and, and you know you can't have altruism and idealism working alongside the cold brutal reality of what politics is like mm -hmm. so I, I don't think politics would be for me. Okay fair enough then but you did you did try at the time and you were I highlighting the, the obviously um, issues that Yeah and I, I you know even to this day I still you know I still think it's wrong um, you know, for people to actually, uh, on the one hand, have the benefit of free education and then impose debt yeah. on their future society. Tough on the, on the youngsters now, definitely. So, you obviously like your football, but you also keep really fit now, don't yeah, you? Always yeah, have to, I always have done. Tell me about that, because that, I mean, you've got a lot of effort that you're putting into your fitness. Yeah, uh, um, you know, I like running. Um, I've done the Mar London Marathon. Uh, I ran for Whiz Kids and I got injured a month beforehand and I almost had to pull out but mm. uh, the mere fact that I would have let those children down so two days beforehand I said right I'm doing it and although it took me longer than I expected it mm. I've done it mm. and it's not about running anybody else's race it's about running yeah. your own race you wasn't going to beat Mo Farah no, no. <laughs> he probably would have let me <laughs> so um, well, um, it's about running your own race yeah. and uh, you know I've always liked to keep myself fit and healthy uh, I do a thousand sit-ups a day sometimes two Sean that's incredible yeah you guys you say you're nearly 60 now yeah wow yeah because I, you know by the time I'm about 80 in, in my advancing years I want to be able to be uh, physically independent right. okay. as long as I possibly can and you can only do that by putting in the hard work and you know the worst thing about training Go on. is the thought of doing it and actually, while you're doing it, you're not too bad. Is that what you're saying? No, uh, I'm not saying it's easy. No. But you feel much more invigorated and satisfied mm. once you've completed it. Yeah, sure. Well, the thought of doing training yeah. is the worst part of it. Well, we get a lot of professionals on the show, um, bodybuilders, uh, World Cup um, winners at cricket, um, professional footballers who played at Wembley and, yeah. and won a League Cup medal, one of the guys, and they've all said pretty much the same. It's all in your head. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. So we couldn't do a show like this without touching on the chase. Yeah. Okay. So. How did I get into it? Yeah. Well, in the aftermath of having lost the uh, um, Eggheads Grand Final, when they started to broadcast uh, Are You an Egghead uh, on ITV in, in the autumn of 2008, yeah. I get a phone call out of the blue from ITV and they asked me to come along uh, for an audition uh, for what they said would be an exciting new game show. Mm -hmm. So I went along. They asked me 30 questions, I got 28 out of 30. They asked me uh, what I was doing. I said, oh, I'm about to um, be seen in the series of Are You Egghead? They asked me how I'd done. I said, I'm not telling you. If you want to find out how I'd done, watch that as my audition. Yeah. And I think secretly they contacted the BBC to find out how I'd done. Right. 
because when they broadcast uh, the final of Are You an Egghead in December 2nd, 2008, the following day I was in front of an ITV commissioning panel. Right, okay. So I was working on that show for four months by myself. Uh, in April 2009, they then brought in Mark. Uh, we then went up to Manchester on uh, in June 2009, uh, uh, did a 10 show pilot. The rest they say is history. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and the show's a phenomenal success, uh, by and large due to the fact that uh, everybody who works on the show, we, I like to call it the Chase family, because from the runners right up to Bradley, we all treat each other with respect. Yeah. And the one thing I said to Mark, because I'm always known as the uh, number one chaser, I'm the world's first chaser. <laughs> yeah, anything else uh, from that. And you're uh, my favourite chaser as well. Well, that's nice of you. So. <laughs> Uh, and one thing I said to Mark, in order for the show to succeed, we as chasers have got to respect each other's abilities. Because if you start having egos or I'm better than yeah. you, or it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And that will, will filter through. Yeah. Uh, and every chaser brought come on board, and then Paul, then Jenny, we've all brought into it. And we really get on well uh, yeah. as a team. Okay. We obviously uh, on, on the chase, you're, you're, what's he called, Grumpy Draws? Well, uh, no, the, uh, the, the Grumpy Draws, uh, uh, I'm known as a dark, dark destroyer. The dark destroyer, but I mean, he calls you. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. I'm going to your All it was I was going to say was, yeah. it's good to see you smiling today, Sean. That's me generally, <laughs> but when I when I quiz, I'm not there to smile, and that's me being no, genuine. Getting on with your job. Right, but in saying that, I'm the only chaser who'll go and see the contestants afterwards, whether right. they win or lose. Okay. I'll always do that. Who's your favourite chaser? Uh, I would. We get on very well. I would say because we started out together, Mark. Yeah. You know, we have a really good, you know, I get on very, very well. I quiz with Paul every single week. Mm -hmm. And although... Uh, Are you and, in a team together? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't like the guy up against Listen, your team. Oh, you've got me joking. Some yeah. of the teams we play in the Quiz League of London, mate. They're good, yeah. <laughs> wow. Exceptionally good. Really? Uh, so, we, I'll, I'll say Mark, because, you know, we started out together. We did the pilot together. And, you know, Mark's gone on to do the show in uh, uh, Australia and the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done a show in Australia and done it in Australia. Paul's out there in New Zealand now promoting, you know, Paul's a comedian. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, we get on very, very, very well. Mm -hmm. Really well. Okay, fair enough. And, and we're celebrating our 10th anniversary uh, in June. So. Are you having anything special? As a uh, I think they're going to be doing, um, you know, loads of sort of articles in the newspapers. We may yeah. be doing something on, on TV, I'm not sure. Uh, even if I, I, I mean, I don't know. But uh, I always knew the show was going to be a success. Uh, and uh, I am so grateful that... Uh, the public have made the show the success it is yeah. today, and that's why I'll always stop if people stop me in the street and say, Oh, it's a bad yeah. <laughs> And sometimes I get a bit, Hey, why are you getting excited? Because, oh, you know, I'm just but, Sean. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that's because of the fact that the reason why I take that all in my stride is for two reasons. Firstly, um, having success at a later age in life, once you've gone through the adverse and disappointments I have, has made me appreciate it more. And that's one thing, I think the same is true with Bradley. Bradley uh, used to be a professional footballer. Yes. Gave it all up yeah. because he wanted to be a comedian. And he had to do the hard yards, working in the working men's club, working yeah. in the uh, holiday camps, working on the cruise ships. Uh, and, uh, you know, he served his apprenticeship. So, you know, success came from relatively uh, late in life. And um, he's reaping all the benefits because of the fact that he's not allowed success to go to his head or change him. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, he's the same guy who was the same kid working um, as an apprentice at yeah. the RAF uh, all those years ago. Okay. Well, Sean, it's, we're getting towards the end of the show now. The book's been absolutely brilliant. I've not quite finished it yet. Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, obviously, 
say to people, go out and buy it. It is, it's, honestly. It's great. It is, yeah, honestly. It's, it's a really good book. Chasing the Dream, uh, Sean Wallace, and I'm enjoying it. I can't wait to get home and Thank finish you. off. Thank you. Let me know. Let me know. I will. Yeah. Sean, how can people get hold of you or, or get hold of a copy of the well, book? Well, uh, to get hold of the copy of the book, if you yeah. go to my Twitter page, it's got all the information where you can contact my publishers or yeah. you can go to Amazon and get it. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, with celeb agents, they're my main agents. If you just contact them, if you want to get hold of me, mm -hmm. you can always do so. You can always contact my chambers if you need legal advice. Hopefully you don't need legal advice but I'm a criminal lawyer. <laughs> 37 Great James Street. That's right. When you said that to me, I said, yeah, but, but what's the chambers called? Oh, that's the address. And you're like, no, it's called 37 Great yeah, Well, James it's Great James Street Chambers, really. Great James Street Chambers, okay, fair enough. Sure, it's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, Thank man. you very much. Thanks. Good luck in the uh, Champions League final. Thank Not you. too much luck, good, really. Good luck in the Europa uh, final. Yeah, well, to be honest, I think... Uh, it's supposed to do in the European Cup and we don't. I, I can imagine the songs which are going to be sung. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'll be the lead singer. I can imagine. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you. I hope this podcast gives you inspiration. And if you want to contact me, I'm Andy Arter. And it's transformyourwealthandhealth at gmail.com.